The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Echo Chamber, our first show of 2018 and very happy to be joined on the show today all the way from London Paul Holmes Paul happy new year morning everybody or oh, hello everybody happy new year i trust you are rested and raring to go as we begin another tumultuous 12 months of public relations absolutely we will kick off i guess this podcast by talking about the big issue of the of the hour of the day, the fake news awards, which as of this recording are scheduled for, is it Wednesday night when President Trump? Uh, I think it's Wednesday the seventeenth, so it's sort of it's ten days away. Oh right, I thought it was this Wednesday. Gosh, they're really trailing it. This is um... yeah, no, it was supposed to be this Monday, but it's been postponed. I think I suspect that there were just way more entries than they were expecting, and their judging panel is uh, taking a little longer to come to its conclusions. Any idea who's on the judging panel? Ah. Uh... My suspicion is it's a judging panel of one. A jury of one? Mm. Yeah. Much like the audience of one that we are now familiar with. Yes. <laughs> Whenever White House staffers get up on TV. Um, we, we actually have a story. It'll be out by the time this podcast is up where I think, in fact, you have, have um, submitted or, or, or perhaps are attempting to submit some, some of our articles uh, for consideration well, in these awards. I've, I've spent a little time on the White House website, and it's, it's by no means clear how you go about submitting your work. And uh, mm. it's by no means clear that there even is a trade media category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd like to feel that if there was, um, our work has a pretty good shot of, uh, of earning us some recognition here, frankly, because... Um, you know, we we started last year with a fairly long article arguing, you know, that, that corporate America had to take a stand in the age of Trump. Um, we looked at the implications of his travel ban. Um, we produced an article on neuroscience, which really sort of was kicked off by the question of, why it was that people chose to believe so many of Trump's lies during the election. Uh, we did a two-part piece on fake news that, uh, that that sort of tried to explain the difference between real fake news, which is the kind of dishonesty propagated by this White House, and fake fake news, which is attempts to vilify honest mainstream reporting with the epithet. Um, mm. We looked at the Comey debacle. We looked at Sean Spicer's resignation. We wow. looked at the squandering of America's soft power. Um, we did some research that showed that PR people felt Trump was damaging the industry's reputation. Fake news. Um, yeah, well, that's that's it, right? I mean, they're, they're, I think I think as a body of work, we're entitled to some backlash from the White House. 
Well, yeah, I think we deserve it. But as I say, I have no idea what the nomination process is. If there is anybody listening who has the ability to draw this stuff to uh, Trump's attention, uh, we'd be very grateful for any support we can get. We, uh, we think yeah. we have a chance. Well, I'm not sure anyone listening is necessarily in, in, in the kind of position that you perhaps envisage. Um, because I feel like so many of our listeners are, you know, liberal snowflakes. Sane? I, I was going to say snowflakes, but sane, oh, okay. is, is, sane is fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I feel that the, the lack of a, an entry process and a jury and, you know, categories, glaring oversights, especially for those of us that are heavily immersed in the awards business. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of painful to see, but we'll see. We'll see what well, happens. I remember the first time that we did an awards competition, oh, you know, 30 years ago, and we put our first one together in a fairly half-assed, incompetent manner and, you know, figured it out as we went along. I think we can cut them some slack on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you I, th I guess you just did more or less the same thing, right? You sent out, well, obviously you didn't use Twitter. Um, perhaps you sent a letter out, I don't know. And, uh, I believe I believe it was fax back in the days when fax paper was curly. Yeah, right. Um, it's you funny had to you, iron them when they came out. <laughs> it's funny you ran through those all those articles. Almost makes me nostalgic. You can almost you can almost forget the torrent of of, of just craziness that that, um, that dominated twenty seventeen. All of it, of course, chronicled uh, quite. Uh, adeptly in in the new book by um, by Michael Wolf, which I, I believe you're reading. I'm about halfway through. Uh, your thoughts on that? Not so much about you know. I think most of the substance we're familiar with, but from a communications perspective, what does this book say to you? I mean, it just I think it just confirms everything that we have suspected about the 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 chaos and lack of formal process that you know, sort of characterizes this White House. I mean, that somebody like Michael Wolff, and you don't have to do a lot of research to, to figure out the kind of book that he's likely to produce, mm. um, was, was sort of invited into the White House or, or, or you know, it's, it, it, in one way, not even invited as much as he just sort of showed up and nobody told him to leave. <laughs> There was no there was no process for approval of anything. Mm. Um, everybody seems to have treated him either as you know as you would literally would a, a fly on the wall and completely ignored him, um, or overshared horribly, or or um, you know just assumed that he was a friend. Mm. And um, you know it, you you can't imagine this happening in in a in a well-run business or in a well-run company. I mean, the idea, you know, the, the, those of our listeners who are, who are sort of CCOs, the idea that your CEO would invite in somebody without any kind of written contract, without any kind of non-disclosure agreement, without any kind of formal process, and just have them sit there and report their, their thoughts on, on every every aspect of your operations is clearly absurd. Um, 
Yeah, it must. And, you know, I mean, it, it just speaks to no. I mean, either nobody on the communications staff at the White House thought this was going to be a problem, um, or nobody had the balls to say, uh, Donald, maybe you should reconsider this, or, you know, it, 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 it speaks to a level of disorganization that is either, either encouraging. Um, because it explains why they got so little done, um, or downright scary because it, you wonder about how things will happen in the future. It's an extraordinary story. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to, to hear the views of, of some you know, senior communications people on the process here. I mean, Michael Wolff has been quite upfront and open about the process, but it is just staggering to think that you know, effectively, he could just turn up, um, and no one would really question what he was doing. Uh, and you know, I think, well, I think first of all, it's probably, in a way, he was the least of their worries. Um, but also, I think there was also a, a sense that he could somehow be, you know, be employed to one side or another's advantage, um, because you know, what's also clear is that there's no. There's no unity, cohesion, or message discipline at all, um, and so when that's the case, then uh, you know this kind of a situation where a supposedly neutral observer comes in um, is not seen as a threat, but actually an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there are cl clearly aspects of that, um, and you know, I don't, I don't think there's it's any coincidence that his access seems to have ended pretty abruptly when General Kelly showed up um, yeah. and actually began to sort of ask some difficult questions and maybe, maybe if not put an end to the infighting, I'm not sure anybody could do that, but um, at least draw, draw, draw a curtain in front of it so that it wasn't quite so visible. Yeah, sure. Well, that's probably enough Trump um, because we don't want to start off 2018 on too downbeat a note. Instead, okay. let's talk about mergers and acquisitions. Specifically, as always, you have produced your M&A review of the year gone by. So that's mergers and acquisition activity in the PR industry in 2017. And it's a very surprising set of results, I think. Um, not just is the volume of deals down. So down from 61 in 2016 to only 39 that we tracked last year. There may have been a few more, but not materially, I don't think. Um, and it's not just the volume that's down, but it's the value as well, right? As, as well, right? Because what we're seeing is that many of these deals um, were f relatively small agencies, what you have termed microtransactions. Um, yeah. Holding companies are involved in only about 40% of the deals. And in fact, when um, the holding companies that are involved tend to be smaller or mid-sized holding companies, uh, Next15, um, Huntsworth, Teneo, absent from the list, neither Omnicom nor WPP did any deals in the PR space. Interpublic bought two digital firms and Salt for Mullen Low. I mean, there's a lot here. Let's start with the volume, because that surprised me the most. The value less so, because I, I think the value has been a trend that's been coming for a number of years. 
that, that people are spending less on acquisitions. The volume was a surprise because that had been going up until last year. Um, yeah, it, it had been it had been at least sort of fairly steady at about um, at about one and a half times the level that we saw this year. Mm. Um, it was um, it was a very very slow um, year for transactions, um, and it, you know it, it's always interesting to sort of contemplate whether that is. Um, whether it's an absence of buyers or an absence of good acquisition targets, um, you know, it, we, we it it's sort of interesting to look at this alongside um, the the research that we do with Davis and Gilbert for the Global PR Summit mm-hmm. um, or the Independent PR Firm Forum, because. Um, in that survey, you know, a huge number of, uh, an overwhelming number of respondents, I think it was something like 80%, indicate, these are independent PR firms, indicated that they had been approached in the last 12 months mm. about acquisition. So it, it seems like there are lots of people out there having conversations, whether it's, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the targets are somehow inadequate or whether it's that the ability to pull the trigger just isn't there. Um, it's um, it's difficult to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the targets are there. Um, aside from maybe some specific sectors in certain markets. So, for example, healthcare in the UK doesn't you know, there's been a lot of acquisitions in that area and, and maybe there's fewer targets. But in general, I don't feel like there's a dearth of independent firms out there, um, of good independent firms that are that are willing to have conversations about acquisition. Um, I think perhaps they are more wary of being acquired by a big holding group, which is something we've seen in the, in the research you cited, correct? Yes. yes. Um, they would rather be acquired by another independent. Yeah, or or accept some sort of venture capital funding. Okay, that would put a break on acquisition because independents don't have quite as much cash to make acquisitions. The holding groups also had a really tough year last year. I think the worst since the financial crisis. Um, yeah. We, we covered this at length. Um, so presumably that's going to have some impact on their appetite for acquisition, especially when you combine it with the the kind of sense that buying a PR agency is not really at the top of Martin Sorrell or John yeah. Wren's list. Yeah, no, I think I mean I think it would be very easy to look at. Um, Look at the activity of the last year and really the last few years, because the, the big holding companies have not dominated. Mm. Uh, these, these, I mean, if you go back to if you go back to last year, um, the only the only major PR agency holding holding company acquisition was um, WPP's acquisition of Machina in Brazil, uh, which they bought for Conan Wolf. Um, that was a pretty substantial acquisition, and then, they, but other than that, other than that, WPP and Omnicom have not been particularly active for a few years, and I think it's very easy to make the case that they've lost faith in public relations. 
that there's, you know, and, until their public relations agencies start to perform better mm. and, you know, and, and one, two, three, four percent growth is is not sufficient. Um, I think why I mean, yeah. why would they be putting more money into that particular segment? Um, now, you know, the counter argument might be that these firms need to make acquisitions, particularly in the sort of digital content creation and data and analytics space, if they're going to grow faster. Um, so there is a chicken egg dilemma there. But but in all honesty, you know, there, there are there are places that are making, you know, that are growing faster and producing better margins for holding companies. That's where they're going to put the acquisition money. I mean, to what do you, beyond the, the absence of holding groups, to what do you ascribe um, the fact that, that so many of the acquisitions were, were, were smaller um, than perhaps we might have expected? Uh, you know, the, the two biggest deals of the year, Blue Focus merging with Cogent, Inventive uh, merging with INC, neither of them really conventional PR acquisitions. The rest of the deals... I don't think there's a sing. Is there? Are there any that involve an agency worth more than ten million US? No, that was that was the 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 thing that really stood out to me. So last year, um, our top ten deals, mm. the the tenth was the acquisition of Three Monkeys in the UK, which was a ten million dollar agency, give or take. Yeah. Um, by by Zeno. Yeah. Um, there is not really a single, I guess, traditional acquisition last year. You know, mm-hmm. so discounting, um, discounting some, um, some some groups that did, did were not PR specific, but mm-hmm. um, you know, so the W two two O, sorry, the um, the Blue Focus deal, yeah, uh, for example. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a ten million dollar agency. I mean, here's the thing that's, that really struck me: the of all of the firms on our Homes Report 250 list, which is the list of the 250 largest PR firms in the world, mm. um, the the only one that changed hands was I, th- or the only two that changed hands were at number 222 and number 224 on the list. Yep, salt. Whereas last year, yep. you know, you last year you had Pegasus. Which the uh, shift rather, which was a top 100 firm, mm. Pegasus, which was just outside the top 100. There was nothing on that scale. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, now you know some of that is that the people who are doing the buying are are buying, you know, have have less deep pockets, and are buying smaller firms. They're they're buying things to you know add a capability. I mean, I you know I. I, I as I went through this list, the thing that the, the, the sort of acquisition that stood out for me was early in the year, um, French West Vaughan, which is a very good sort of lifestyle oriented mm. PR firm based in North Carolina, bought a firm called Fetching Communications. Yeah, pet PR. Fetching, Fetching Communications, right, does pet PR. That's exactly right. And it was like, okay, you've added a capability and, you know, Fetching. I, I won't pretend to know a huge amount about fetching, but I think it's fair to say that they are the leaders in that category. We're going to get aggrieved calls now from, 
from various other cat-focused PR firms. But well, you know, <laughs> yeah, but 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 it, but this was the this was the kind of deal that we saw all year was you know there's a capability that seems like it's interesting maybe it's an area of opportunity um, you know pets get pampered in the U.S. so I'm sure there's growth in that market but beyond that it's not really the most exciting yeah i think we we ran it we ran it as a news in brief right feeling right and actually that i mean again that that was sort of the other thing that stood out to me was i i found myself reporting on a lot of things that we had covered with one paragraph um rather than rather than the big sort of yeah you know earth-shattering the acquisitions that have that have been front page news in the past yeah and okay so so Part of it is down to less cash available to the buyers. Any other factors that you think are are salient? Um, no, no, I just you know I just think it was a sluggish year for the for the category overall, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the the growth numbers mm-hmm. that we've seen from the holding companies were disappointing. Um, independents are I. You know, I we obviously we haven't started gathering the data yet, but mm-hmm. you know, my soft soundings suggest that with a handful of exceptions, um, the growth among the independents is going to be less spectacular in 2017 than it was the year before. And you know, I just think, and I I, I think everybody approached the year with um, caution. Yeah, I think nobody's that's true. making big bold moves. No, and and particularly in that became particularly pronounced in the second half of the year, when a lot of deals get done. Um, yeah, and I think we, yeah. you know, we are accustomed to a flurry of deals at the end of December, or at the beginning of January, uh, and I think yeah. to date we've only have we only seen. I mean, Highwire has just made a an acquisition again. It's it's a microtransaction. Um, but there isn't really, there isn't really anything else. And, you know, you could feel the confidence kind of ebbing away as the year wore on. And as it became clear, I think that growth was, was imperiled, um, Mm -hmm. especially once it became clear, I think that it wasn't just publicly held agencies that were feeling, you know, the, the, the downturn. Yeah. I think it was, I think last year was a strange year. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd like to think it was an anomaly. You'd like to think that we'll bounce back in 2018. Um, I am um, more cautious than optimistic. Yeah, I am too. I mean, my my kind of view on this is that we may not have a good idea until the middle of the year because I find the PR industry spends the first half of the year talking about how great everything's going and how wonderful the year is going to be. And then when, if that turns out not to be true, then the second half of the year is is, is often a massive correction to reality. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, you and I are both familiar with the, the, the process by which, you know, we go into agency meetings for our agency of the year selection process at the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, everybody is... Everybody is talking up the the new business pipeline that they went into two thousand and the, the the way that they hit their targets in the first month of the year and and yeah that 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 often sort of transforms into well it's been a tough year by June or July um, yeah 
So did you see anything um, from your M&A review? Was, was there anything in terms of geographic trends um, or not? Not really. I mean, most of the most of the activity that we tracked was in the U.S. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I think that's um, I think that, that that's that's been the case for a while. Mm. Uh, you know, we the we, we did see a couple of U.S. firms, uh, we communications and Finn partners mm-hmm. um, making acquisitions in um, in Asia. Yeah, uh, we did. Uh, which. You know, I, I think continues to be where people see the most obvious growth. Um, so Asia, I think, does have the issue that you raised at the top of this discussion, or potentially um, it's a supply issue rather than maybe completely <coughs> a, a demand issue. Well, I think that's clearly a problem um, in China specifically. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we have uh, we have struggled o- over the years to identify um, good indigenous independents in China um, who can be who can make it through due diligence. Due diligence, yeah. Um, and you know, I would I, I mean I would say that the, the the one firm in China that has really sort of popped on our radar screen over the last. Two or three years, Redbridge. Yep, uh, was you know one of the most one of the more interesting acquisitions of last year when We Communications came in and snapped them up. Yep. Um, but there, you know, there there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of very um, very basic PR firms in China, um, and very few that I suspect would. Um, you know, meet the, the 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 sort of criteria that a Western agency would be looking for, and and over the years those have been snapped up fairly quickly. Whether it was you know Eastway be, becoming part of MSL, um, you know, or, or and and again, you know, they 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 tended to be firms with a high degree of Western involvement. Um, yeah, because that's you know. I mean that's part of the issue I think is that for for international firms. Most of their business remains MNCs, so yeah. um, whatever they acquire, straying from that formula too much isn't always possible. Right. It's just it's just right. too difficult. In fact, we we ran a story on this in in December before the Christmas break, looking at the at the downturn in China, and then you know this is one of the main issues. Um, the interesting thing I think about China is that there are lots of firms there doing really interesting work, especially in terms of digital marketing, influencer marketing. Um, I think there, is, there are challenges in terms of acquiring some of those businesses for maybe for financial reasons, but also I do get the impression that uh, PR agencies are not necessarily actively looking at those types of businesses as the kind of thing they should acquire, which you could also argue is the case in many markets around the world. They, they still, it still seems to be most of the time the acquisitions are one PR firm buying another conventional, let's say, PR firm. Yeah. Um, which I yeah, know, I, maybe a missed opportunity. Yes, I, I mean, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I think again, you know, if you look at some of the more interesting deals, Weber Shandwick added two digital firms. Correct. Yep, um, including that, one in China. That, yeah, that bring in new new credibility, new new capabilities. Excuse me. Um, 
Taneo bought Taneo and and we both bought firms that um, probably are closer to being management consulting firms than than PR firms with with Credo in Taneo's case and Watatawa in um, in Wee's case. Mm. Uh, you know, I, 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 there are there are a number of deals out there that uh, that that involved um, adjacent disciplines rather than just PR. And I think that's been the case for a few years. I don't think we should be surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the two, the, the next 15 deals mm. were for digital, digital specialists with sort of, you know, SEO and research capabilities much more than, than PR capabilities. Yeah, so, next 15 is consistently now for a, for a number of years now has been buying adjacent capabilities yeah. which I think is a smart strategy and seems to be paying off um, once they get over the integration challenge which you know is difficult and they don't they don't always get over it with all of their their buys perhaps but when that does happen it does seem to pay off for, for, yeah. for the firm I mean the other the other firm that has done that um, remarkably successfully I think is w2o yeah, um, sure. You know, not 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 in the past twelve months, um, but uh, but 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 in the last three or four years. I mean, they they have bought a number of firms that, you know, that that have capabilities that have to be explained to me very slowly in words of one syllable for me to even understand what they do. Um, but um, because you know they're they're technologically advanced in a way that most of the PR agency business is not. And, um, and and I think, you know, the, the results of, of that have been very impressive. Mm. I mean, I think we probably would expect more acquisition from W2O this year, um, if only because they have the, their private equity investment and, yeah. you know, that, that always seems to be a, a path to growth. Um, there are definitely going to be there's definitely going to be more acquisition, I think, in China and India this year, only because a couple of long running deals um, are likely to complete fairly soon. The first, I think, Avian Avian's acquisition by by We Communications in India. I mean, that's a firm of again, it, it, it's it's not a huge firm. I think it's only it's about five million US. Um, there's another Chinese. Yeah, one. but it's a, it, it's. It's a very, it's a good firm, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a firm that we've, you know, that we know well enough to, um, you know, in the same way that Salt in the UK was not, is not a huge firm. I mean, it, it's, as I said, in the, the sort of 220s in our, in our list, um, but we know it to be a quality firm. Um, and, and there are lots of targets like that out there, I think. Sure, there are. There's another deal in China we're expecting to complete soon. I can't actually uh, disclose details, but it does involve a holding group from what I understand. Um, beyond that, any predictions from you in terms of what we, what we might expect on the M&A front in 2018? I, I would, I, I mean, the, the thing that slightly worries me is that we might start, start to see... Um, you know, consolidation that is necessary um, to rescue firms. Um, 
you know, I think if if the market continues to be as sluggish and stagnant as it's been in 2018, you might see some of those deals which are really just, you know, that are more absorptions than they are acquisitions. Mm. Um, and uh, that that's never a good sign. Um, but but I also think, you know, a lot of the a lot of the really quality independents are going to be holding out for a better environment than the one we find ourselves in right now. Okay, well, we we will see what happens. Um, of course, you can find Paul's M and A review on our website. It is actually part of our premium content section, but of course, well worth the uh, the annual subscription. Um, and there's quite a lot of premium content coming out this month um, with our trend forecasts uh, and our crisis review. Uh, always popular. Um, articles. Uh, we'll be back with the Echo Chamber next week uh, as we dive into 2018 and see what the year has in store for us. You can, um, as always, get us on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you can rate and review us on iTunes. That is always much appreciated. Um, and let us know what you'd like us to discuss. Paul, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure having you on, as always. Likewise. Thanks very much, Arun. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.